0: Welcome to Laughter For All. It's the podcast with Comedian Nazareth. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Laughter For All podcast. I'm Comedian Nazareth. I'm here from the studios in Corona, California, where it's 90-something again. We thought we're done with the heat, but uh, I guess when you live in Southern California and you're paying five bucks for gas... Uh, you you have to do it five dollars you know what i was in la yesterday and it was 5 35 a gallon 535 not only i sh- shook the nozzle i licked it this is what i did i licked the nozzle for 525 and someone was saying how come californians do not complain about the gas i, I don't know I don't know why we don't complain, but uh, we just got used to it. But we pay a lot for gas. We drive a lot. We get stuck on the freeway a lot. But uh, anyway, what happened this week for me? Okay, Friday night, I've been telling you about the Laughter for All uh, comedy concert in San Diego at uh, Maranatha Chapel. Thank you guys for coming. Over 2,600 people showed up. Uh, The church holds 29. I think think we had about 2,700 people. And then when I did my Change California campaign request, which is we want people because we believe only Jesus can change California. So we said, how many of you are willing to share Jesus with seven people? 1,500 people stood up. 1,500 people. That means over 10,500 people in San Diego will hear the good news of Jesus this year because of laughter for all. We had a great show Comedian John Riskala who's my son, did great. The uh, comedian Sizzle C, and then we had a uh, a new uh, worship team with us called uh, Pioneer Worship, as uh, you know. Uh, uh, Adam Carpenter and his team they did a great job so it was awesome and Sunday I went to church it was all about worship we didn't have a big message but it was mostly worship experiencing God so it was amazing Sunday we went to see our daughter Carol at UCLA spent the day with her went to Merrows. everything was closed praise God I planned it right so whenever my daughter and my wife go to the shops they're closed but <laughs> we had a good time. So anyway, today is gonna be a great day. My guest today is Brenda Crouch. I'll introduce her professionally later. And um this is gonna be you know, if you have any questions about uh child abuse, sexual abuse, uh wife abuse, marriage problems, whatever it is that you have questions about, you can call us at seven one two. Seven seven five eight nine eight four seven one two seven seven five eight nine eight four, and then you can enter the number two zero five four nine two two zero five four nine two. I'm sure uh, our wonderful engineer Sean Kelly will be able to put that as a comment, so you'll be able to to have. But if you have any questions, please. Uh, Let us know. Call us. Talk to us. And uh, I'm going to introduce Brenda in a second. But right now, I want to play a two-minute video of a comedian friend of mine. Her name is Kay Dodd. Kay Dodd. And she talks a little bit about abuse. But, you know, the reason I, I love putting that is because you can see how humor can can you can you can talk about anything if you do it in the right way with the right humor and laugh about it and it can be healing to a lot of people. So we're gonna play a few minutes over there and then I'll introduce our guest for today.
1: So um, well my name is Kay, I'm an alcoholic. Um sorry, wrong meeting. I um, the bartender just got nervous. He's like we got a real one in the house. Um, <laughs> hide the corkscrew. <laughs> uh, that will not stop an alcoholic from drinking. <laughs> That's how I got that chipped tooth. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I just do that to see how many people forget where they are and go, hey, Kay. So. But I have been sober 23 years and nine months. in a row so um, uh, but alcoholism in my family is a little bit more than addiction. it is an allergy. I am allergic to the substance of alcohol. When I drank, I would break out in bed marriages and um, <laughs> it only happened twice but it was <laughs> enough that I should quit. <laughs> Well, I got a hold of one that thought he was a boxer and thought I was his punching bag. Oh, it's fine. I killed him. (laughs) Eye for an eye, sister. And the other one was headed down that same path, so I left him after four months. I've had yogurt to last longer than four months. With a lot more culture, <laughs> I might add. So. Uh, but I am now married, and I met my husband. I'm in a 12-step program. Of course, can't tell you which one we're anonymous. <laughs> um. But I met my husband now. We've been married almost 20, uh, 22 years, coming up soon. And uh, it's working out good. I don't recommend that, that you go to recovery and get a relationship. Um, <laughs> early on, two people knew in recovery, it's kind of like two ticks and no dog. It's not.
0: <laughs> that was K-Dodd. And the reason I put this whole clip is because There was a part where she said, you know, I I married a guy who thought he was a boxer and I was his punching bag, but I killed him. It was a joke. And, you know, and this is going to be our topic. It's a heavy topic, but we can talk about it. And my guest today, I'm honored to have her here in the studio with us. Brenda Crouch's inspiring story of overcoming the lies of abuse is a powerful testimony of God's faithfulness and grace for a hurting world. Having once found identity in the modeling and entertainment industry. Her best performance was hiding the evidence of domestic abuse and insecurity behind the fragile mask of glamour. She's a dynamic speaker, singer, and author whose heart-piercing message confronts the real issues which plague culture, keeping people from fulfilling their divine purpose. Brenda and her husband, American Christian broadcaster and film producer Paul Crouch Jr., who this is outside? Who I think is so funny. He's amazing. He's a great man. I love him. Work together, sharing the gospel through media and our TV co-host for multiple networks. Her book, Fight Forward, tackles the issue of identity wounds, helping readers overcome through restored authority in Jesus Christ. More information, Brenda, can be found at brenda.crouch.com. But she's here with us today, live. Brenda, welcome to the Yay! show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank too. you. I- Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to drive all the way to Corona 91 going east. That's really, yeah. a, by faith, you <laughs> well, got Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. I heard you were biking yesterday and I- you... Yeah. Mountain biking.
2: News travels fast then. Yes. It? Mountain biking in Irvine Park, uh regional park. And you know, it's it's been a little while since I've been on the bike and um I've dropped a few pounds recently and I thought, well, you know, I got this and um was on a trail that I hadn't been on in a few years. And so I got up ahead of my husband and uh you know, I, I'm gonna rename this trail Hot Dog Trail now because I was kinda of hot dogging it. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm I'm coming down at a pretty pretty good speed and um, feeling pretty good. And then I'm thinking, okay, I should probably lower my seat just a little bit. I have this newer bike that I can lower my seat on with oh, my automatically. gears. automatically. Yeah, oh. it's pretty cool. Oh, so as cool. I'm trying to focus on that, and I'm one of those people who has a rough time, you know, chewing gum and walking at the same time, <laughs> I kind of noticed from my peripheral that – Oh, I've got what's called a switchback, and it's like a hairpin turn to the right. Uh And, you know, as I age, I've had this little issue with balance and hearing, you know, changing and all that. So I'm going, oh, no. And I kind of froze up, and I hit both brakes at the same time Ah. a little too hard. So basically, you know, my bike just went over to the right. So I take a hard fall. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I got some scrapes. And, Your and husband bruises, was behind you? He was behind me. He comes up. He's, oh, Did baby, he baby, laugh? baby. And, well, he's he's <laughs> talking like he's caring, but he's not getting off his bike. He's oh. just, and, and then, you know, to top it off, Naz, he's got a video camera going. And he goes, well, I got it all on tape. And oh. I'm like, well. That <laughs> yeah, should make well, you feel comfortable. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah here oh. I am lay sprawled out laying on the in the dirt. Yeah, thanks. The, that's my <laughs> Wife, uh, my friends
0: Ma- maha if i fall uh-huh. i know uh-huh. she is trying to stop a grin <laughs> or laughing are you okay i'm like come on yeah. come on you can't fake it i yeah. know you're dying inside yeah, exactly. well well you were born in where turlock california turlock yes the
2: turkey capital of the world i think I <laughs> and mean, that's okay, a big hey, month a next month for it, it.
0: yeah Turlock is the north of uh, <laughs> south of Sacramento north of Fresno. Yes.
2: Yes, exactly. Right in the middle in the heart of the Central Valley. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I always said well we were anywhere within an hour and a half to 2 hours of anything great. You know, we had Yosemite yeah. to the east, we had um, you know, the Bay Area, Monterey and all that to to the west. So but, there But you go. nothing
0: in Turlock. Not and when did you leave Turlock? It's
2: all agriculture. Um I left, well, I left a couple of times because I was born there. Then, you know, I ended up in Nevada with my family as a little girl, grew up in Nevada, returned to uh, Sacramento, actually, um, for Bible college, and then went to Texas, spent some years in Texas. And then, you know, it, my trail of a broken road uh, led me back to Turlock, where I then raised my little girl, um, I think I was there about 17 years. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just was, it's, it's beautiful little kind of, I don't want to say sleepy community, but you know, it was all, at that time, it was really more like Mayberry. And, uh, you know, lots of great people there. And I had, still had family there at that time. So, but then, you know, I, Really went through some traumas again. And, uh, let's talk
0: about that. Ended when up in you Texas. Were, yeah. When you were born, yeah. you had a family, <clears throat> mom and dad home, mm-hmm. and then how many siblings?
2: I have one sibling, a sister, three years younger than me.
0: Okay. Was there abuse in your house?
2: There was a hidden abuse. Um, what is a hidden abuse? Hidden abuse, meaning the secret of sexual abuse. And, um, and it didn't last for many, many, many years like it does for some. Uh, children, but there was a period of time where this was happening um, with my father. I was about eight years old. You were eight. Yeah. And it's, you know, it. I did what they call a very deep compartmentalizing because of the trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, this is what children often do. Some children remember it, but some will actually compartmentalize as a defense mechanism because the trauma is so great. And so what they do is they'll, this will often resurface later in their adult years.
0: How later? How how so happen?
2: I was about I was in my teen years when I began to have these reoccurring dreams that were repetitive. It was the same dreams coming back to me over and over and they were very traumatic. They were very graphic mm-hmm. and they always involved my father who was filled with shame and just hanging his head low, shaking his head. And I remember almost this sense of pleading and being almost like a third party in mm-hmm. in some of the dreams and pleading with my my father to look at this and to help this girl ah. and you know i've never shared the the details of those dreams because it's just too graphic and right. you know i try to be careful about um how much sensationalism i throw out now as but, someone
0: who is never dealt with
2: that personally
0: yeah. the the question that comes from people is like where was mom
2: yeah, my mom knew nothing and and she was going through her own trauma. Um my mother in so many ways was a saint, but you know she'd come out of a very deeply controlling um of legalism and religion uh in her family. Mm. You know, while there was such deep sincerity and I write about this in my book because I feel like all of it really contributed to the person that I am and some of the good and the bad. And um so I think she was really set up for these the dynamics of abuse within our own marriage that, you know, growing up, you think thinking these things are normal and you don't understand those dynamics of emotional abuse. And, you know, I never saw my father really like hit my mother. I heard uh, arguments and things that would es- escalate. Uh, but I, and I knew that he was more self-centered, but I didn't realize the level of mental abuse that was there. Um And then you know, it was later in life that I began to have to face some of these dynamics because I was living them out on another whole scale in my own life.
0: So what about your little sister? Was she abused too? She was not, not physically. Um,
2: she remembers that now she experienced things outside of the family. Mm. So there was this, and, and I want to say that I want to point out that, um, you know, my father had been abused as a child, and there were—he came from a family of just some of the most beautiful, talented people. Yet, what the enemy did in their lives is devastating because there was uh, generation after generation of incest, um, wow. verbal and physical abuse, wife beating. There was even murder, if you—that uh, nice. I discovered later from a one of those cousins that found me on Ancestry.com, wow. <laughs> and uh, you know she said, well, I have some information you may not know on the family. She didn't even know I was writing a book and I was just at the right time to confirm a lot. So what I, I say that to say that when we look at when my sister and I both look at, you know, the, um, the, the, the trail and, and what we both walked into and at one point we both kind of questioned how in the world did we end up in abusive marriages and, and, you know, with um, these levels of, uh, damage and, and a threat to our personhood, wow. um, and nothing made sense. And so you know, it's now that I can look back and go, oh, "Wow, these yeah. are these are some of the tools and the answers." And that's why I wrote a book about it.
0: And that's where my stupid comedic mind hits <laughs> yeah. and go, "You're in terlock, what do you right, expect?" Right, uh, no. right? <laughs> now, what do you tell a mom uh-huh. that now has an eight year old on a nine year old? Mm. That maybe she's compartment—I can't say compartmentalizing. compartmentalizing. Yeah. That how to was there is there any sign for a mom listening now mm. or a dad to notice if their daughter Gosh. is being abused yeah. sexually?
2: I. I don't know that my mom could have seen any more signs because here's the thing. When you're broken, when you're, when you're in the middle of your own pain, you often can't see those things around you. Mm-hmm. So what I would instead encourage Naz is for parents to really keep the lines of communication open with their children to make, to make a safe place. So often we don't want to hear information that is going to destroy the thing we're trying to keep together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, because it me it may often mean when the truth comes in, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and your whole world is going to come unraveled. And I don't think that my mother was operating on, in the sense of denial where she would harm her children in any way, she would have died for us. Mm -hmm. And had she known she would have, I am positive she would have had, there would have been a different outcome in how she treated her own abuse. But I was the generation that got to break that curse, yes,
0: and you left uh you left home at what age
2: um I think I was probably about mm, I was nineteen eighteen nineteen when I left for my first little apartment, you know, but I left home into another state I came back to California at twenty,
0: okay, and you got married when
2: I was twenty two
0: my first marriage and he was abusive, yeah did you yeah. look for that kind of personality no,
2: well, no. I think that um subconsciously you know every little girl is looking for her daddy cuz that's who teaches us what love is mm. and so you know this is kind of what i've what i've been trying to help people understand is um that when a child bonds traumatically with their parent who has Abuse them; they're bonding with both good parent and bad bad parent dynamics, mm-hmm. and so we don't. Um, as little innocent children, we need our parent; we need their love even though they've done some harmful things we need their love we need their provision we need their blessing and their words of affirmation and so and my dad was emotionally distant for many years on a certain level and even though he would tell us that he loved us and he was proud of us and we played music together my dad was an amazing person in so many ways mm. and i've been able thank god to preserve the good things
0: i've never met anyone who oh, said that that way the victim of that that's mm-hmm. i mean i mean that's that's what you call the true forgiveness yeah, right have exactly. you forgiven him
2: Absolutely. And that's God's grace. And I open my book up with the story of my father's confession, which came on his deathbed. Because for many years, you know, when I tried to broach the subject with him, he could not talk about it. He could not confirm it. And I was left with questions and, and confusion about knowing something had happened. But and I'd been through a lot of counseling. And at this point in my life, I'd been through broken marriages. And um so, you know, I I honestly believe that the, the beauty of my story is that my father finally came into the light, you know, and he was able to step out from behind his own shame and the mask that tried to cover it, which believe it or not, my dad was very humorous. He was a funny guy. And really? that's why I love comedians and I loved laughter. And I, uh, I, I that's probably why I attracted my husband, Paul, who's the oh, one of the funniest guys on the he earth. He is
0: funny. If you don't know her <laughs> husband, Paul Crouch is the, uh, from TBN, his dad is uh, Paul Sr. and Jan. I mm-hmm. love Paul Sr. Yeah. We used to have just quiet talks together. Yeah, well, and Paul had me on his show several times, and we, mm-hmm. we just, he is just funny yeah. and sarcastic, and yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always good. Oh, and so, when, when did you find out you can sing?
2: I was two years old. I came from you know a geniusly musical family. Oh, my gosh, yes. And uh, so both my parents were fabulous singers, um, and my dad could play any instrument that he picked up just naturally. He had this ability – And, you know, that his whole family was musical and some of them were recording, um, artists and, um, Mm. studio musicians. So both my parents had done some recording projects and, um, so there, this gene came naturally. My sister sings and they lined us up as little kids. I mean, they started teaching us how to harmonize, you know, even with (laughs) our cousins, you know, we'd have this little line of, of kids singing the old hymns, you know, and everybody had their part. And so, you know, when I watch like those old country western, um like the history on country music, yeah. um which was in my family, Um, I just get this – I don't know. I get the warm fuzzies because I, I relate and it was just such an intrinsic part of – and maybe something that just gave me a little bit of a lifeline and something to cling to. But I found that as an identity for a long time, you know, that I had to be – The best singer, and I I was a little competitive about it. And when did
0: you go professional? Like not professional. Like when did you? Was your first like serious or professional? I won uh...
2: my first talent show when I was fourteen, and so that thrust me kind of out into an arena where I was starting to get noticed and then not
0: interlock is it?
2: No, okay. no. I was in Nevada, which is oh, a, a big, big entertainment capital. Yes. So, and I talk about that in the book, how that, you know, I was really influenced by the entertainment industry there. Um, you know, I w- I learned when I entered the pageants, I was learning how to do my makeup from like the showgirls. <laughs> oh, Oh, you
0: and, did yeah, the, I, lo- I love that. Modeling, glamour. Right?
2: I you... did that as that was the kind of the segue into modeling. Yeah. And, um, but this whole, you know, Brenda the singer thing was so huge for me. I tell a story in there about um, how when I was 14, I sung my first secular song at a school concert. You know, and I had the church gig down. What but, was it? The second? But, Which
0: song do you remember? Okay. Do
2: you remember Diana Ross? Yes. Do you know where you're going to? Do you, know? do you like can't the think.
0: things? I The life is
2: showing you. Pretty song. Yeah. (laughs) Where are you going to? Do you know? Yeah. Pretty song. That's awesome. So, um, I did that song and, uh, got a standing ovation and that just went on and on. And I remember here I was this broken little girl who didn't know who she was. And suddenly I had a purpose. I mean, the bug bit me and it bit me hard. And to the point where I thought, I don't need math. I don't need, you know, all the traditional schooling. I'm going to be a singer. And I was a singer and I did it, I mean, for years. uh, Professionally, I did uh, voiceover work for, you know, radio commercials. And I was modeling, doing uh, spokes modeling for TV commercials and uh, print work and all kinds of stuff. But and I was doing a lot of ministry, music and ministry. But there was something that was so deep inside of me, broken and twisted in shame, Mm -hmm. and it came from the sexual abuse, I believe, as a little girl, where the message of love got confused.
0: Now, if you were not abused, would you still be a model and a singer?
2: I, I think there are many people that are, but I do also believe that so many people who are in the entertainment field are driven by something that we all have the yeah, someplace that's broken. And so many people have their demons that they're fighting, you know, as well as I oh, do, we true. hide, we hide so many comedians. I mean, look at the suicide rate, right. even among comedians and people that make us laugh. And yet they're filled with such anxiety.
0: You know, we have something and let me share this. Uh, yeah. but, uh, the You know, we started the Christian Comedy Association about 12, 13 years ago, where we as a group of comedians got together with said, hey, let's Mm -hmm. just uh, be long rangers. Let's get together. And the first thing we do at each, we do a conference every year. Leave your ego at the door. Why? Mm -hmm. Because all comedians are insecure. And and sometimes people think we're comedians and we're (coughs) proud. Mm -hmm. We're not proud. Pride Mm -hmm. comes as a backfire from being insecure. Right. Where you feel so, you're not like, you know, sometimes you, it backfire like, Hey, uh, I belong here. Uh, well, where can I go sit in the corner where no one can see me? You know, the thing, mm-hmm. like, I am the best comedian here. I hope nobody finds out I'm not funny. You know, stuff right. like that. You get yeah. that, that, uh, oh yeah, I can go on stage and make the people laugh, but then yeah. you go, Oh no, I hope, I hope they like me. Yeah. You know, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of
2: gonna... like, I hope they don't figure out I'm a fraud. Yes.
0: That's always in the back head of every comedian, I think. And I can't speak for everyone, but I hope they Mm -hmm. don't find out. I'm not that yeah. good. And I'm mm-hmm. not that funny. And, and I know there's a story. It's funny how insecurity, like, like the other day I was flying. I fly a lot. So, and you guys fly a yeah. lot. And I see Paul sleeping right. all the time. Uh, so we're, and we, he's
2: faking, by the way, uh, <laughs> in those pictures.
0: And people, you know, so the, the lady came in and gave pretzels. Now I don't really don't right. eat pretzels, but she gave pretzels to everyone except me. She probably forgot. Oh, okay. I didn't want pretzels, but now I want pretzels. <laughs> and I was like, it's why? The yeah, why me? Why? I mean, she, mm-hmm. was I, is my clothes, no, I'm dressed what's nice. What's wrong I'm with like, me? It's, yes, what's wrong with me? Is it because I'm <laughs> Melissa? I know I'm Melissa and they oh call me God. random check on the plane. <laughs> so then she comes back with the trash and she mm-hmm. have the guts to say, do you have any trash?
2: Oh. With what?
0: And I go, I would have if you would have (laughs) gave me the pretzel because I normally don't bring my own pretzel from home because I thought it's included in the price of it. She goes, oh, you didn't get a pretzel? I go, no. She goes, what else do you want? I said, else. It has to start with something. (laughs) You know what I want? I want some (laughs) dignity and a pretzel. Oh, I love it. But you know that insecurity where you feel you don't belong? Mm -hmm. and that's And
2: that can haunt you. It can absolutely... Haunt you and and just follow you everywhere. And something as small as a bag of pretzels on a plane
0: uh-huh. can
2: bother you to to the depths of your soul. I mean, you may we're making light out of something, but this is what drives so many people, right?
0: To do uh, to entertain, yeah. to go on stage and make people. Yeah, I want you to like. Want to be lovable? Yes,
2: and that's what I talk about in my book. That's what I was doing. I was projecting this image. That I thought was lovable. But you know, unfortunately, the caveat was I was attracting people into my life who Uh wouldn't love me. They would love my image. Ah. So I became the arm candy or what a friend of mine calls stink bait. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that is the best. Like stink bait, like for fishing.
0: Oh, you know, like, you know, you're
2: attracting the wrong kind of person and it's it's you're attracting another broken person who needs your image to make them feel better about themselves
0: wow so how did you get out of that what
2: man was a hard road it was a war Unfortunately, it's a process, Mm -hmm. and I do say that. I don't tell anybody this happens, like, overnight. We like – in the church, we like to think that we can have this, like, altar experience, and we do the little shundi and wave the magic wand, and everybody's overnight instantly. What church do you go to?
0: We don't have (laughs) – with the Sunday and the magic <laughs> yeah. wand.
2: Yeah, that. That. <laughs> that
0: yeah. So, oh, we are in Texas and then you There's swing some of the chandelier, weird. right? What? <laughs>
2: and then you swing from the chandelier. Oh,
0: okay. No, but
2: every church has their own little system and their yes. own beliefs about how we kind of whitewash, uh-huh. you know, a really deep issue and we don't know how to treat it. And so what we're really doing inadvertently is we're we're making it worse for people that are broken and who are desperate and we don't know how to help them. And I think the church is really, we're at a wake up call where, you know, the Me Too movement has like brought this to the table. What do you think of that? Well, I think that it's, uh, the good that I see is that it's, it's opened up a conversation. Mm. Okay. So you and I are talking about this, right? Right. Now I was writing my book before that actually exploded. And by the time I finished the book, that was at the precipice of its birthing, and I went, oh, my gosh. Like I kind of went, wow, God, your timing's amazing. And I just trust him in that. But I do feel that the Me Too movement is a movement of people who are trapped in their um, lack of answers, in their anger and their rage. And they're trying to get something done, but they don't know how. And so I believe that it's those of us who have walked through the process of healing, which comes through forgiveness, by the way. Mm. And that's not something I say lightly because you can't just tell somebody, oh, you need to forgive them. I would never just say that to someone without giving them some tools and holding their hand. And it's a process.
0: But you've been through it and you managed. I, I mean, Successfully, the way you talk about your father, I mean, that tells me you forgave him completely.
2: I did. And, and the thing that I had to discover first is that you know the scripture that says I couldn't tell you where it is right now, Naz. But um, there's I a scripture that says, <laughs> <must call> <laughs> there's a scripture that says if you make your bed in hell, he is there.
0: Yes, that's Psalm I think uh, 34, 134. Come on, I'm Google impressed. It. Google it, people. <laughs> yes. But you
2: know what? It's true. His His word is so true and so alive. It's it's the living, breathing word of God, and that is where. Um, and I'm, I'm fighting back my tears because it's real to me. Mm. That is where life came back into Brenda. And I could not have forgiven the years that the locust ate for me, the years that were lost. Listen, there were repercussions to the abuse. There were, there, there were things that I lost and missed opportunities because of, um, being twisted in the identity of shame. And thinking that I was an object instead of, and this was deeply ingrained because I had buried it so deep. I was trying to soldier on. I was trying to do my best. And I was building up this beautiful image of what I thought would be lovable. But then God, in his mercy and in his grace, said, baby girl, we're going to unravel this world you've created because you don't know who you are and I'm going to help you. And he was there in my bed of hell.
0: Amen. That's one of the things that encouraged me is that I know where my place in Christ is. Mm-hmm. And whenever I feel that insecurity, sometimes I'm like, wait a yeah. minute, I'm on a mission. I know God right. called me to do this. Now, um, you, okay, so you went to Nevada. You got married to an abusive guy. And that's something where really it's not mm-hmm. confusing to me because I, I know this, it's called codependency or we do right. codependency. And I know I come from a culture in the Middle East Mm. where there's a lot of wives get abused physically. Mm -hmm. And they don't say anything because the culture is always with the guy. And I started a ministry 10 years ago here in California. I co-founded it. uh, It's called Voice of the Refugees. And one of the things we have to deal with is women right now here in America where they go, hey. I don't need to take this. And then we have team. We have people from our ministry that go to their house because they just abuse their wife. And, the, and they would call the cops, and the cops would come, and the wife mm-hmm. would go. No, he didn't touch me. I just fell in right. Head, I know, and we're shocked. I'm like, mm-hmm. you can say something, mm-hmm. you can do something. So, but that didn't come from the women being abused, but right. uh, how the culture impacted right. them. I even joke about a little bit, which is not a funny bit, but a joke. But I, I said we Middle Eastern with our presidents were codependent. We, uh, you guys had a president for three years here and everybody's complaining. (laughs) I'm like, we are codependent. We had president who abused us for life (laughs) until they die or America gets involved. We have the same president.
2: Well, it tells you something about culture. Yes. Really. And, and I love that you brought that up now. It's because, um, in a sense, I was, came from a similar background being taught some of the legalism and what submission to your husband means total misrepresentation of what the bible is actually meaning exactly about you know submitting ourselves one to another uh no less but um i think that i had i kept going back what i describe as the dog returning to its vomit yeah. i kept going back to the abuse and to the lifestyle and the codependency for many reasons which i do get into in the book um And I think part of that is not just our dependency and our financial, but our emotional dependency, but then this, this narrative and these mindsets that have formed and shaped who we are and we're listening to the wrong, we're we're listening to a lie. And so sometimes the lie can be painted out to look good Mm -hmm. and it's a lie and it's painful to have to look at that and say, wow, you know what? That's a lie. And it might have cost me all those years, but isn't it better for me today to come free from the lie the bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free so
0: how do you, what do you tell someone who was in your place but nah- not, he's still listening to that voice, mm-hmm. still listening to that lie.
2: Well, first I'm going to tell him to get my book because I think it's the <laughs> beginning of, of uh, the beginning of a journey. And right. listen, somebody's got to be able, if you can listen to, to the voice of, in the wilderness, so to speak, of those who have gone before you, those who have championed over the, um, the spirit of abuse, the, the lies of abuse and the entanglements, then you're listening to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I really believe that it takes counseling from those who have wisdom. Uh, people that we seek counseling from, they, they need to understand the nature of abuse. They need to understand what codependency is, um, from even a clinical viewpoint. I, the Lord showed me cl- that uh, codependency is actually a form of idolatry because we're putting a person in the place ah. where God only belongs. And so once we have put a person in that place where we submit to them only and they, their lives and their voice is more important to us than God's and are obedient to the Lord or obedience to him, then what we've just done is we've created an idol. And so breaking codependency, you know, there's a scripture, I think it's in Matthew, where Jesus said, you think I came to bring peace, but I didn't come to bring peace. I actually came to bring a sword. And he mentions these um, relationships right after that, like between, uh, you know, a daughter and her mother-in-law and all these different. And I'm thinking, wow, like, okay. And God began to teach me that what he brings the sword to is the surgery that separates us from sometimes these familial dynamics that have restricted and kept us bound to a lie Mm. and to the thing that wants to usurp his power in our life. It wants to have that place that only belongs to God. So my advice Uh is really to safety first. And if you have children, man, you've got to think about those babies. And it, this, the reason I titled my book Fight Forward is it is a fight. You are fighting for your life, you are fighting for your identity and for who you are in Christ and for the you are fighting for the image of God upon you and yeah. in your heart, in your spirit. Yeah. And that's what the enemy wants to steal and hijack.
0: Right. You know, last week I had Mark Gunger uh, the week before Mark Gunger who's laugh your way marriage, and he was saying that God never told the man it's not his job to make sure his wife submits to him. Mm. And, and some men, especially those narcissistic, abusive right. men, they always hang on to it. Yeah. So were you healed completely? Were you, you mm. experienced the forgiveness and all that before you met Paul Crouch Jr. or after?
2: Yes, and, and I think saying healed completely is um, a loose term. I was healed to the point where I could function mm. lovingly. And trust again in a relationship. But I will say that, you know, Paul and I both came from a broken road. And God has used that for he's made us agents of healing to one another. Mm. And I love that, you know, we both brought different strengths to the table. You were talking about how funny he is. And, yeah, but
0: he. this is what he brought. He brought his camera. Right? And he was not healing. He was laughing at you while <laughs> yeah. you are calling. Yeah, get so back he, on your bike. And got,
2: go. We got a little work to do on him. I've arrived. You are. How long ago did you.
0: How did you guys meet? How did you meet Paul?
2: Um, Through a a really sweet friend. um, Her name's Kelly Huff. I know Kelly. You do. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You
0: you know Kelly. She's awesome. This is how we met. We are on the plane (laughs) in a late flight. Red, uh, what do you call it and she, you know I was sitting in first class and she was upgraded and she sat next to me and we found out that she's a we're both believers because I try to witness to people on the plane even if they're trying to sleep <laughs> so you're witnessing this. and and she's like I'm a Christian I'm a singer and she was Let just me going sleep. she was going through a divorce and all that and I prayed yeah, with her yeah. and I haven't seen her in person yet yeah. but uh, again but she's amazing so oh yeah. she introduced you to yeah
2: Kelly has her own story she's oh she's great I love Kelly and so I had met Kelly, you know, when I was out in Dallas cuz uh-huh. you know there you'll have to read the book to get all the details. I will straight. read the
0: book. I will but, I, anything I can yeah. get about Paul Crouch Jr. and hold <laughs> him uh, for it I will. <laughs>
2: right, any dirt, right? But um yeah, so I met Kelly and then just through some musical friends and I had been working on a project out there with some of them and I just really was drawn to to keep in touch with her. I wanted to just be a voice of encouragement and just a true friend and so so social media was really the platform to do that and to be able to kind of keep up with each other. And um, she was always so sweet. And then, uh, I don't know, one day, a couple of years later, uh, Paul Crouch Jr. pops up on her page and he starts joking. Uh, you know course. how it's like there's the wall and you do the comments. And then uh, anyways, so <laughs> and I didn't realize he was a funny guy. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you're funny. So I think I said, oh, you're funny. I didn't think a thing of it. And then, so one day... Um, You're probably like, the
0: only one who encouraged him. Yeah. <laughs> That's why maybe. he married you. You're like, oh my I'll gosh. Marry her.
2: <laughs> maybe so. He's, he's a kind of a desperate guy. But, you know, <laughs> he I've helped so. him. Actually, he's actually. Like, I've helped him. Yeah. Oh, he is... I think he's so handsome.
0: Well, I really
2: do. You. Yeah. Uh,
0: but you, so. So, yeah.
2: So then, uh, honestly, it was just kind of a, a natural progression where over time, um, he reached out and I think I had sent him something just to encourage him one day. But I absolutely didn't have like, it wasn't even the closest thing to my mind to think that, I mean, he lived in California. I was in Dallas and I didn't know him, but I just thought he was a sweet guy and, you know, funny guy. And so, um, Anyhow, he reached out and said, hey, what's your story? And so I, you know, well, get ready. <laughs> Hold on to your seat. <laughs> and uh, I kind of, you know, put it in a little, condensed it in a nutshell and Gave him a nut, and uh, then you know, and I said, hey, "Well, if you're ever in Dallas, you know, let me know. We could have coffee or something." And I thought we can be friends, you know. And um he said, "Well, it just so happens I'm going to be there next week." And this is when he was with TVN,
0: of course.
2: So yeah, see, he was the one conniving. I, mean? I know. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, he had the plans. But so um we got together, and we didn't have coffee. We had dinner, and. Oh, my word. It was so cool because he was so easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Just, you know that. Yeah. He's one of those kind of guys. And I thought, how refreshing. And he said the same thing about me. He said, you're probably one of the most balanced human beings I've ever met because I I knew how to laugh.
0: He says that to every girl. Oh, he, oh no! I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He probably did. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, done. No, no, I'm done with no, this. He's interview. watching. That's why <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, no. So, so you guys. So after how many dates did you guys like feel like this is we need? You know, we can be oh. in flash. We well,
2: can. see now this is where this is where I had to work. But yeah, so it took five years. Five years. But we were dating on and off. Um, But we kept this really great friendship. Mm. And so I think that really God knew it was about the soil of our lives, so to speak, if I can give an analogy, where his he had to be ready, I had to be ready. And so that took five years. Mm. So I can blame him, but really it was really about both of us in process and about everything lining up just right. And then when my dad died, that's when he reached out to me again and he was like, Hey, what can I do for you? And he came to see me. I was in Turlock again. I had come out there because that's where my dad lived when he died oh. and all that happened. He drove up from Orange County to Turlock. I don't know. It was like six hours. Six hours. And I was 99. just so impressed. I thought oh, he drove in the car that long to come see me. And so, you know, and we, we, he took pictures at my dad's memorial. And uh, meant a lot to me. Yeah.
0: Now, how long have you guys been married?
2: Um, a little over five years. Uh-huh. So we've known each other for over 10. And oh, who knew?
0: And you've been all who over knew? the world with him. He is always over Yeah. Traveling. I mean,
2: I that golly. Now that's a picture right there for you, Nazareth. It's, I was like this little helium, helium balloon tied to the back of his hitched to his trailer <laughs> he's the energizer bunny that you know with that what i used to call german constitution but we found out he has no german blood no. so now i don't know what, what is to call he he's
0: from south dakota right. yeah so he's probably yeah. dutch holland yes yeah, all that stuff yeah all that yeah
2: stuff. we both are so maybe we're cousins like somewhere down the line he's i don't
0: from know Terlake. what difference does it <laughs> yeah, make <laughs> I don't.
2: and i thought i was cherokee yeah but, you know.
0: and it's funny because you came here and i told you it's video mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you brought your red shoes and nobody sees. So you got to show people Let's your see, red can shoes. Can I put it up on of the course, table? Of course, you can put so it I on I the brought table. I brought my red shoes, and I'll tell you why I asked you to do that. Because <laughs> I've always seen hey, women when good. they take a picture. Yeah. They pull the leg up, and oh. I didn't know why they stand on one leg and and pull the other one up. Yeah. And I found out why. My wife told me. She goes, so people can see the shoes with right. the outfit. Oh,
2: there went my book.
0: Yeah. So now that's, that I'm comfortable, that's fine. okay. That's good so. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so let's see. Anything when and you're – you still sing, right?
2: I sing, Where yeah. do you
0: go? Where's a, a venue? Um,
2: well, um, you know, in the last couple years, I've actually focused on writing the book. That took a lot for me to, to yeah, write a book like yes. this. This is a different kind of a book, and it was a real journey. I lost my mother at the very beginning, oh, which was huge. She was my best friend. And um, – So I, it was a, I'm a deep well and I had a lot to say, but I had to really pray through it. I had Mm. to, I had to fight my way through this one. And so it was kind of like birthing a child. And then of course, this is my first book. So I had a lot to learn about marketing a book. And so then that, you know, has, um, put me on the, on the path of trying to get the word out. So, you know, it's people like you that are helping me do that. And I just think that it's really going to help a lot of people. I've been so honored. Um, you know, Dr. Stephen Arterburn uh, has uh, found this to be a, a fabulous tool. They wow. are now stocking this book in their library of resources. And I uh, was just on the phone with a couple of uh, female uh, doctors of psychology the other day doing an interview. And one of them, uh, Dr. Lisa Day, said, Brenda, I, I was reading your book over the weekend because I, I felt like I needed to get to know you for this interview. And she said, I was kind of speed reading. And then I went, oh, my gosh. Like she said, I, I started slowing down. And she said, and then I, I really got a lot out of it. And she said, it's one of the best books I've ever read. And I read all the time. That's, and I was just blown away that's by that. Amazing. Is yeah. there
0: things you removed from the book where you said, no? Yeah. Yeah. Was it too deep, too hard?
2: Well, nothing was removed, like by the editor. Um, matter of fact, they were encouraging me to really try to help me open up. But um, there were things I purposely did not say because I don't it, – it was not my intention to hurt anyone. Mm. And I really believe this was done tastefully, but it engages the reader and, and – I've heard it many times now people have some people have read this book multiple times because they're getting more and more That's as funny. they read it again so it's just full of a lot
0: any where's the church with that, you know, are they still trying to hide stuff like that? Covers? I don't up? think
2: so. I, I really don't. I mean, yeah. it probably just depends on which church you're in, but I think the church on the whole is just at a place where now this this is here. It's it's at the it's on the table. It's before us, and they want to be a healing agent. And you know, Paul has always said that the the church is often perceived as a courtroom. Instead of a hospital and Mm. and it needs to be a place where we can come. Yeah. And it needs to be a place where we can come to (laughs) heal. And so, you know, and bring our brokenness and not be ashamed of where we are on the journey. And so that I really feel like that it's people like me. I'm not the only one who can help to bring some, Some insight and some tools, and there are people trained in this area who want to help equip churches to heal. One of
0: the listeners said, "Thank you for so bravely sharing such a Mm. sensitive and timely message." Wow, that's amazing. This is awesome. Anything funny happened to you with Paul by yourself, singing, going to a gig, doing modeling? What?
2: Well, you know, one time, this is a few years ago, I used to go to John Hagee's church. And I was okay. I, speaking and... of singing. I was in a group there called Exaltation. It was a, a like a Southern Gospel Quartet. Uh-huh. And that's not my only genre, by the way. But, right. um, so it, we were, I was pregnant at the time and I hadn't had any breakfast and I didn't realize my, my blood sugar was Ooh. slipping. And I was, you know, uh, I was just excited and we were about to go on the platform on the second service. And so my friends, they were all so funny. Uh, we were holding hands. They said, Brenda, why don't you go ahead and pray for us? So, I pray, and you remember Patsy Claremont, who talked about the cracked pots and, you know, how that God uses broken vessels. And so I'm thinking this in my mind and, but it didn't come out right. So I'm, I'm like, Lord, just shine through our cracks today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then immediately, you know, I, I just could feel my blood go, like, ri- rising to the top of my head. That's... And I turned red, and everybody just busted out laughing. The prayer was essentially over by that point. But, of you know, course. they knew they knew my heart. But, you know, from that point forward, I, I got labeled as the, you know, this little light of mine. And so it was, yeah. <laughs> this that's is funny. Me. If there's a joke to be said, I'm going to ruin it.
0: That's... <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Like, whenever I'm with a pastor meeting and they go, Nazareth, pray we hold hands and we yeah. start praying and I always open with dear Allah <laughs> Instead of, and you can see the hands like Whoop. oh no and it's just yeah. like but that uh, it's funny oh. uh what how many children do you have? you have I have
2: one daughter one daughter she is um man she's my gift is she's she- an amazing dynamic woman who's gonna start her own podcast and guess what what I might not be funny but she is hilarious Oh. You need to have her on as a gift. I would love uh, as to. a guest someday. No,
0: does she live in Southern California?
2: No, she's in te- Texas. But in when Texas. I get her out here, we'll do it.
0: And does she sing? She does. She's amazing.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's given me three little grandsons.
0: Oh, that's Come beautiful. On. Yeah, that is awesome.
2: She's one of my best friends.
0: This is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you <clears> have <throat> to do it again, of course. Without that, would you? What would you be doing?
2: If I had to do what again?
0: Your life again?
2: Oh goodness! Oh, you still would marry Paul, right? Oh, I'd I'd find him a lot faster. Yeah, that's I would. He's just been such an amazing person in my life, and I believe that I've brought the same equivalent to his. But um, I think that I would start with talking to the younger me and telling her a new narrative. I would say, you know what? It's okay to be imperfect. And it's okay because God loves you and it's in your weakness that he is made strong. It's it, I've learned to embrace the weaker me. Mm. I've learned to be okay and to be vulnerable enough to tell somebody else, you know what, I'm not that glamorous image. I'm this person over here. I'm awkward. I'm, you know, all these things. I'm broken in all these different areas. But God, he makes all things new again. And so that's why my eyes are on him now. They're not on how well I can do things. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I'm a little bit shaky need, you know, like Gideon going, I don't know, God, can I do this? But um, he's called me. And so I trust him.
0: Amen. So what do you say? And that's probably in the same answer to a girl right now. She Mm -hmm. knows, she felt she got abused sexually, Mm -hmm. but she still didn't come out and say anything or do anything. Yeah. And she's still fighting it. What do you say to her?
2: I would tell her, you need to love yourself enough to find a safe person, find, a you know, if that's a church, a ministry, um, a, an abused women's shelter, whatever it is that you're needing a friend, find someone and begin to open up. Don't be, don't think that you can do this on your own because, you know, uh, they say it takes a village, right? right? And I I really, the older that I get, the more I realize that's really true because it's a picture of the body of Christ. And it's people like you and I, Nazareth, who bring what little we have in our hands, the right. gift that God gave us, and we are all this beautiful reflection of the love and the mercy of Christ. And so surround yourself with people who know who understand, and invest yourself in yourself. Mm. Invest in yourself.
0: That's powerful. And uh, of course. I you can
2: start with my book. <laughs> with, yes,
0: I, I love that. And yes. we can, uh, in closing question, mm. what do you tell people? Thanksgiving is coming. There's mm. a lot of family issues, no yeah. forgiveness. There's uh, no forgiveness from kids to their parents, from parents yeah. to their kids, from mother-in-laws to their and daughter-in-laws from brothers from sisters how did you manage i mean you had the extremist part Mm. of forgiveness and and a few weeks ago we had this issue with the texas you know officer where she went and killed someone Uh, and the brother forgave yes oh my god what are you you don't in, in, <clears throat> encourage people who are listening right now. Everyone has someone that they're having a hard time forgiving. No. Or they, they have this fake forgiveness. I forgive them right. until I see him again, right. and then I'm going to remember everything. Yeah.
2: And, they, and I think people mean well because they know we should forgive, but they don't know how to forgive. And I... I have said for a while now, there are, there are certain things that are just absolutely humanly impossible to forgive on our own. And that's why we have to allow ourselves a process. If we're taking this before the Lord, He knows our heart. If we desire forgiveness, He knows our heart. Listen, I still struggle at times with different individuals and I take it before the Lord and I say, God, make your work complete in me because I know that it's only as His image is brighter in me as his heart becomes merged with mine Mm -hmm. isn't that what we we mean when we say identity in Christ right as I know who I am in him I'm able and I'm able to forgive you know um, ironically as I was driving here today I was praying just praying up a storm for people in my life who have hurt me so bad and yet Mm. the familiarity with the wound is no longer there the pain of it is gone Nazareth And the love of Christ remains, the compassion of Christ. And it's not in the place I used to be where I was a fixer. I can't fix them. But I'm in a place where I'm saying, God, bring them there. Help them to discover you in the midst of their confusion and their darkness and their hell. So I do believe that God can birth the kind of forgiveness in us that can stretch our arms out and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't know. And we all have betrayals. We all have people we're dealing with, especially in our family systems, because as God begins to, like I said, bring the sword, sometimes we have to have some separation and that's okay. It's all right. Sometimes families can't all come together because it's just too toxic. But you know what? Believe for the time when mm. you can.
0: Wow. Believe that's for That's powerful. It. And that comes from someone who was able to forgive. And that's truly forgive and you're amazing you're wonderful Aww. and uh, you too, my friend. i'm Thank sorry you. about the sarcasm of your husband but he's a great man i <laughs> love we'll work on it I, I would love to have him one time on the show and uh,
2: well you know the great thing is i'm his wife and i get to see the other side yeah. that nobody else sees
0: where can it's people awesome get guy. the book
2: they can find it at on Amazon in uh, Barnes & Noble stores. And, you know, if you're confused, just go to my website. Please come there anyways, brendacrouch.com.
0: Brenda Crouch. I want to connect with com. you.
2: I'm going to start my own podcast. Oh, wonderful. And it's a video podcast. So there's lots of great things on the horizon. So please come uh, subscribe. I'm going to send out some great information soon. And you can find the, there's a book tab there, um, a section, a page. And, please uh, do. Yeah.
0: And uh, if you, if you, Think, oh, well, that's not me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know someone who's that's been abused. Right. You know someone who's hurt. Someone who needs forgiveness. Someone who needs to to offer forgiveness. You can get the book and uh, you can get it on Amazon. But better yet, you know what? Before you go to Amazon, go to brindacrouch.com and get the book from there because the money then goes to the, to the author rather than uh, Amazon. So- Actually,
2: right now I'm sending everybody to those links, but... Thank you. Yeah,
0: it's better for them to come to your But if side. I'm
2: speaking somewhere, please. Where where do me you then. have
0: do you have a uh, can they go on your calendar and find that? Yeah, place?
2: and my calendar is just being uploaded again uh, this week we're working on that. So I've got uh, some great speaking engagements coming up this next year and some stuff in Israel. When are you going yeah, to Israel? Yeah, I think we go like in March, January and March. I I, I forget, but You
0: know, Paul's probably bigger than Netanyahu. Paul there. and I they have love to, them. Yeah. <laughs>
2: They love the <laughs> but Yeah, they love him. We have to email each other, you know, to keep up with our schedules. So it's...
0: And it's funny because the first song you sang, secular is called Do You Know by yeah. Diana Ross. Now that we have GPS, we don't We know. That. We know, right? Yeah, do you know where you're going? Uh, but thank you so, so much for being on the show. Love you, we love you, too. <laughs> you awesome. Invite me to your podcast. I'll wear my red shoes and show it to everybody.
2: You got it. And
0: thank you so much and for what mine. you and Paul do. You guys are amazing. <laughs> thank you. And if you're listening uh, in closing, you know, you know what you need to do to, to, you know, subscribe to the podcast, share it with people, let people know if you know someone who's hurting or going through that, you know subscribe to the podcast better yet go to brenda crouch get the book and send it to them for christmas yes that would be something to do for healing for for helping people i am under comedian nazareth on um facebook on instagram and on twitter it's at nasman n a z z m a n and uh remember in two weeks in 12 november 2nd we'll be having another laughter for all at uh belair in beverly hills so Ooh, nice. i think the best The reason we had a very successful event last week is a lot of my fans fasted and prayed Mm. a few days before the event. So I'm going to be asking you next week to fast and pray with us for the people to be saved and to be encouraged to do that. Until then, remember, if you don't laugh, there's muscles in your face. they are going to just have atrophy, (laughs) and you're going to look so old and ugly. Oh, I can vouch for that. (laughs) keep laughing. Keep laughing. God bless you. And if you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. He's the one who can help you. He'll help you forgive. Again, thank you so much. Love you guys, and we'll see you next Monday. God bless.